All right, so we were doing sort of uh, not an official catalog of uh, old westerns, but just kind of dipping into them. And, you know, as we just watch old TV shows and try to piece together the sort of uh, the weird quilt of, <laughs> of old TV. So we did the really famous ones. We did uh, like Gunsmoke and uh, Bonanza and how there were very different takes on the Old West where Gunsmoke was really early, things were super rough, tiny little town, people fucking high noon gunfights and stuff. And Bonanza was way more uh, an established, settled sort of big um, ranch. ranch. Yeah, right. The ranch. So I guess uh, this show, I've never heard of this show, so this is different from those real famous ones. This is The Rebel. Or you were calling it the Rebel Johnny Huma? Yeah, the Rebel Johnny Huma. And he is, uh, what I remember of it, he's from uh, after the Civil War and the South lost to the North. Uh, Johnny Huma is is one of those uh, Southern soldiers. He's a Southern soldier right. that is now, is now gone West. And he always had this hat, uh, well, the kind of hat that those uh, soldiers wore, this uh, kind of a slouch, had the little peak on it, but a slouch hat and they were very popular hats uh, when I was a kid growing up and uh, they were always just called the rebel hats right well that is the first thing as I was looking it up is uh, the rebel Johnny Yuma is the name of the theme song for the ABC TV series the rebel which was recorded by Johnny Cash but the show itself was just called the rebel so it's not a major thing but just as I was looking it up that's tiny little thing but I assume everyone probably just called it the Rebel Johnny Yuma, right? Especially if that's the name of the song. Well, th- that's probably why people remember Johnny Yuma is is Johnny Cash's song. <laughs> I, right. f- I forgot about that Johnny Cash sang that song. Yeah, and apparently it was, you know, not like one of his greatest hits of all time, but for a TV theme. Although, uh, ironically, it seems like the song kind of caught on as the show was ending, because it didn't run very long. It ran from 1959 to 1961 for two seasons, 76 episodes. And you're going to feel like whenever I read these descriptions of old westerns, you got to do it in the old west voice. The series portrays the adventures of young Confederate Army veteran Johnny Huma, an aspiring writer played by Nick Adams. Haunted by his memories of the American Civil War, Yuma, in search of inner peace, roams the American West, specifically the Texas Hill Country and South Plains. He keeps a journal of his adventures and fights injustice where he finds it with a revolver and his dead father's sawed-off double-barreled shotgun. (laughs) So, so, I mean, uh, the first thing I think of when I hear that kind of stuff is either Kung Fu, where, you know, the dude walks the earth and writes the wrongs, or the littlest hobo, <laughs> where he goes from town to town. And so it sounds like this is the Old West Same version <laughs> of that, that formula. Yeah, of just like the, the uh, stranger who rambles into town and fixes the problems that yeah. happen to be going and on. he's troubled. He's got to be troubled. Of course. Which, I mean, at least I guess he's got a pretty good, pretty good reason. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought uh, we're going to watch The Rebel, but then I thought also we could tie it into uh, afterward. We'll watch an episode of that show, Firefly, because... Uh, I feel like probably at this time, or even for your generation, there was probably more of that. Sort of even the, the Dukes of Hazards, where it's like the the Confederate flag was just kind of a thing that was around, and there was kind of like the good old boy down south type of view, where that really changed a lot. Like by my generation, like the view of the south or that southern part of the Civil War had really soured, where... You know, they're like they're talking about how the Confederate flag is in bad taste, and these uh, old statues yeah, and should they be tie taken it down. Yeah, they into the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, we'll get into it a little more with Firefly, but Firefly was interesting at the time because by then, by the early 2000s, it was very unusual for a TV show to be about the losers of a civil war, the essentially the South, even though it's a sci-fi space show, it's the same setup where that didn't seem nearly as uh, contentious back in these days. You know, there's a lot more kind of respect for the Confederacy is how I, it seems, you know. Yeah. I, well, I mean, this whole show is about, right? It's like Johnny Hume is not a bad guy is what I'm trying oh, to say. Oh, no, no. Johnny Hume is not a bad guy. Right. But then Gone with the Wind is all about the South and the Confederacy and the Civil War and uh, in one of the most famous movies that was ever made. Right. I've never seen it, though. Like, what is the take on, in oh. that case? Oh, Gone with the Wind? Written by Margaret Mitchell in 1939, I think she wrote that, or that's when the movie was put out. Famous, famous movie about the big plantations down in the south and uh, how the north uh, wins the war and the plantations are all destroyed and the and it's Scarlett O'Hara is uh, is a is a rich, a very rich girl that had grown up in these plantations and it's her life during the Civil War and how at the end how they pick up the pieces and carry on during Reconstruction. It's Oh, it's a famous movie. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, sure, I've seen the Simpsons ending where they, they change the ending for the old folks so they don't upset the old people in the retirement home. So instead of, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, they change the ending to, frankly, my dear, I love you. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm trying okay. to say. Well, is... your, take, your take from the Simpsons is probably uh, gone with the wind in, in a few moments and probably covers it all but that's what i'm trying to to express here is that like gone with the wind it's a i assume a more or less sympathetic view of these people right and how they have to pick up the pieces after yeah because, because it's more of a which i think johnny rebel is probably too it's it's rather than the political things about who was right and who was wrong and what happened if it, it's people the people that were affected by Right. by that war which i guess uh, like i mean it's like i said we'll get into firefly after but that's what i'm trying to say is by the time of the early 2000s that was no longer the case we don't have shows like that anymore we don't have shows that paint the confederacy in any kind of a positive light and we just just don't that's not the cultural nowadays the cultural feeling is they were terrible they were the bad guys <laughs> where it does seem like for your generation or before your generation with the Gone with the Winds, like it was a much more, there was much more sympathy for the South that just does not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Well, let's, uh, let's check out Johnny and Johnny Yuma and see what uh, their take on it is. Yes. I'll tell you the basic uh, info I found out about this show. So the Rebel was a rating success for ABC, commanding a 35% share of the Sunday evening audience in its time slot which is just, man, crazy to think, 35%. Like, nowadays, the most popular show, I don't know, say, like, whatever, uh, probably Game of Thrones when it was on. I bet that's, like, 1%. <laughs> you know, 35%, because there just weren't that many stations and there weren't that many channels and stuff. Uh, and it was actually scheduled to be renewed for a third season as part of a new hour-long series entitled The Rebel and the Yank, which would have again starred Nick Adams as The Rebel and future The Virginian star James Drury as the Yank. Do you know the show The Virginian? I just know the name The Virginian. I never, I don't know anything about it. I no, don't think I ever saw it, but I, I'm, I am familiar with the name. Yeah, so apparently it was going to be like a, it's kind of interesting, this the idea of a, a former Union soldier working as a doctor in the southern United States who's like teamed up with, with Johnny Yuma. 
But despite the show's success, ABC decided to pass on the series due to two factors. First, it's violence at a time when the network was trying to withdraw from violent programming, which I guess ties in with he brings his own brand of justice with his daddy's, his dead daddy's sawed-off shotgun. Uh, and second, they were doing this counter-programming format. It was just another one of these weird cases where who knows who's running these networks or where they get these ideas. But they decided they wanted to... They didn't want to run like a Western against a Western on a different network. They wanted whatever they were running to just be radically different from whatever the other networks were running at that time. So if the other networks were running Westerns, they decided in this particular case, say, to make uh, a comedy variety show. So thus the Rebel was canceled. The Rebel and the Yank project never came to fruition and the series was replaced by a new variety show starring Steve Allen. This program was not a success, lasting less than four months. So, so they, uh, yeah, they just decided to burn down this little series yeah. they had going. Something that had a whole, maybe a lot of meat and thought with it, and they replaced it with this Steve Allen show. Yeah, which oh. I, once again, I know this is always the recurring thing on this podcast. I don't really know anything about Steve Allen, but the Simpsons writers were obsessed with him. He's constantly referenced <laughs> on the Simpsons. So, uh, <laughs> but well, we might have to check out a Steve Allen show. Yeah, I mean, I should sometime just to know, like, who even is this guy? Why are they always making jokes about Steve Allen? Uh, and I did notice, if anyone wants to watch along, we're gonna watch. I'll tell you which episodes we have here. But of course, we have the first episode, which that's uh, the nice thing is that it's actually officially uploaded to YouTube by the company that sells this show on DVD. So it's actually pretty good quality for episode one just to, you know, try to get you to buy the show on Blu-ray or whatever. Uh, but then other people have uploaded other episodes. They're slightly less high quality, but they're good enough. So I've got season one, episode one. It's just called Johnny Huma. And then I grabbed season two, episode 33, Helping Hand, it's called. For no reason, just one from later on. So we'll watch the first one. We'll watch one from toward the end. And yeah, it's all on YouTube. So very easy to get a hold of. And I noticed that this first episode was directed by Irvin Kirshner. And I was like, hmm, I know that name, but I'm not sure where. So I went and looked it up. He directed the second Star Wars movie, uh, Return, what's it called? Um, Empire Strikes Back, which is the only, only good Star Wars movie. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, and that's not just me saying that as a guy who's not into Star Wars. Everyone agrees. It's by far the best Star Wars movie. And I think it's not a coincidence that they got this guy who cut his teeth and, you know, old Western shows and stuff who knew what he was doing. It's not a coincidence he's the one who directed the good Star Wars because the main Star Wars guy, George Lucas, he's obviously good at the big picture ideas, but as far as the details, he's profoundly untalented. <laughs> so, so the Irvin Kirshner Star Wars is the good one, and uh, that's where I know him from. So he directed at least this first episode of The Rebel. So all right, let's fire it up. I don't mean to stop it right away, but yeah, just talk about as far as like the harsh, gritty realities. The very first scene of the very first episode is poor Johnny Yuma taking cover in the middle of a gunfight behind his dead horse. Yeah. Like, man, you couldn't really start off in much more dire circumstances than that. <laughs> wow.
So yeah, we tossed in uh, one extra episode because uh, the first episode was really more the setup about how uh, Johnny Yuma came home to find that his sheriff daddy'd been killed, and uh, I wanted the town to... was a bunch of lily livered. <laughs> yeah, uh, the whole town lily livered, and uh, then they the bad guys all moved in and were controlling the town. Not willing to stand up for justice. Yes, I wanted to get a little more of a sense of what it was like week to week. So we watched the first one and the second episode, and then the episode thirty three, like I mentioned. And yeah, pretty neat show because it really was quite different. Each of the three we watched, they were all, you know, definitely... Yeah, they all had a different storyline. Um, they were excellent. They were all well done. And they were all equally of equal goodness. <laughs> yeah, like it does Greatness. seem weird. They were all well done. It wasn't one where you'd say, eh, that one was a little weak or the acting was kind of weak in that. They, no, they were all excellent. Yeah, I wonder if, because I was saying how I read that... Uh, that Nick Adams was the only consistent actor. It was like different each week, and that's what we saw here. Nobody repeated. I wonder if that's like a benefit to your show. Like, you know, you can just pick those character actors, like we were saying in that final episode. This this guy uh, who, he's got kind of like the Marty Feldman wall-eyed look, but you said you've seen him before. Yeah. He's like, and his name is Jack Elam, but I didn't know his name until I read it in the credits. But and, I've uh, seen him in a lot of stuff. And the first episode had uh, Dan Blocker, is that his yeah. name? Yeah, Dan Blocker, and... Uh, John Carradine. Right. So, yeah, I'm like, I wonder if you can just get these, like, uh, what do they call Like a character actor, like these people that they're not necessarily stars, they're just good actors. <laughs> so you get to fill your show full of people like that, and that seems to be what they did. Again, it's like, I I don't know, uh, Steve Allen? Is that what I said the guy's name was? Yeah, they replaced it with Steve Allen show. Yeah, again, we'll have to watch some of his stuff at some point, because like I was saying, I only know him as the, from The Simpsons, but a variety show seems like what a what a weird replacement especially when they had another series ready to go with this character and and his northern counterpart seems like that just would have been a way better choice right <laughs> what a strange thing to get rid of this show so early yeah because it, it's it, it was a really good show and it was well paced and it was well acted and no formula where you well i mean obviously there's a bit of a formula in that uh, johnny yuma is successful at the end of each episode but you can't guess what though you're not saying oh yeah well i knew that was going to happen or i know what they're going to do there was none of that it was all uh yeah surprises coming right at you it was well yeah. done really well done so much so that yeah so the first episode was him kind of cleaning up the town uh before he you know went off on his merry way to sort of you know uh, avenge his dad type of thing and then the very next episode was like courtroom stuff where it's like the uh crooked judge you know forged some paperwork to steal someone's land and it was like, yeah, they were in a courtroom thing. And then he, Johnny Yuma went and did a bunch of uh, research and was like researching land title stuff and all this crap. But then at the end, you know, they do always have to find some way to make it action packed. So in that one, he can't just uh, confront the judge in a normal civil way. He goes to where they were about to hang some guy unfairly. And instead, he's got the judge with the noose around his neck. And you tell him, judge, you tell him all the truth or I'll hang you. And what that kind of reminded me of that kind of extreme reaction or in the first episode the way he uh these these no good dastardly near-do-wells that he ends up shooting he throws an explosive into the yeah. saloon that they're at and yeah, blows it up kills them all that way well it, it forces them out and then he shoots them all in cold blood yeah. vigilante justice what it made me think of is did you ever see the first rambo movie it was just called uh, first blood oh uh, yeah must have seen it yeah and uh 
Anyway, it was before Rambo sort of devolved into self-parody. You know, Rambo, pretty much immediately after that, was just the war, gun-shooting, 80s action John Rambo. But the first movie, you know, was based on a novel, and it was just about a vet who uh, is back from a war, and he's crazy. You know, he's crazy from his experiences, and, uh, and he has to deal with this, with the law and stuff. And it's like... You know, that that's what the feeling I got with Johnny Yuma is that because this show was made in 1959, they could just present him as he's just bold. He's a bold, heroic guy. But if you fast forward a couple of decades when people have more understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder and like what it's like to come back from a war, I feel like if you made Johnny Yuma nowadays, these things that he does wouldn't be a sign of how brave he is. They'd be a sign that he's kind of lost it, <laughs> you know, like he never did quite come back from the war type of thing. But I just thought that was kind of interesting, those different takes that just probably wouldn't be presented that way nowadays. Because he does some wacky shit, man. He does. <laughs> but then you get the final show that we watched, which is a feuding family fighting over water rights and the fact that one group of them has sold their kinfolk down the river to rob a bank and have money and various uh, various complicated plot here. But in that one, he does not shoot first and ask questions later. He, like at the very end when he shoots those men, they they drew on him first. Right. They were going to kill him. Well, and I mean, he always, he, he is always quite sure of his righteousness before he does these things. He's not just going off half-cocked, but, but it is still shockingly violent his solutions to things yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's again it's like so there'll be an action scene because there's always those little things where you know you just kind of have to uh check it off in your brain of like oh yeah this is a tv show like even the one with the uh with the land titles and the the crooked judge the guy who's been falsely imprisoned his his daughter comes in and is like johnny yuma i'll give you money please please help and he's like it's none of my business so then she starts making out with him, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's, again, it's just a TV show. You just want to have a kissy-kiss scene. <laughs> but then he still says, no, 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 no deal. No, no deal, honey. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really well-done show, though. Each episode we saw there, where they were all equal, equally good. Yeah. There wasn't one where you said, oh, you know, they've been doing this for a while, it's kind of fallen down, or they're... No, there was none of that. It was excellent. It good storylines, good acting, lots of action. Lots of action. Yeah, and uh, and I I, think I am impressed that that it was so varied. Like I don't think that was a coincidence. It's not like we just happened to get just the right episodes. Yeah, very well done show. Not bad. So. And this one I had completely forgotten, and I don't know what what made me think of it, but it was just there a couple of weeks back. The name just popped into my head, and I said, "Oh yeah, wait a minute, Johnny Yuma, Yuma, Yuma Rebel, whatever." It was a good show. Very good show. So then just us doing these westerns, just sort of floating around in the back of my mind was uh, that show Firefly, because I was a huge fan of that show when it was briefly on TV. But uh, first off, it's, you know, we usually do older shows, not necessarily newer shows. But then I got to remind myself that uh, Firefly's 20 years old. Mm. It was canceled in 2002 or 2003. Yeah, so I watched a few of those because you introduced me to them. Yeah, and like we had already been watching Buffy and Angel, and this was that same guy, Joss Whedon. But yeah, it's like... Uh, this thing where there's like big ups and downs with Buffy, big ups and downs with Angel. You know, you can really pick out like, okay, here's the better seasons, here's the lesser seasons. Firefly was a weird case where it was such a downer that it got canceled in half a season right away. Yeah. But the good thing about that is it never had a chance to hit those lulls. 
the way Joss described it is it's like a Christmas gift that you never got to open. Like he set the scene and he set up the characters and all this stuff was gonna happen and then it never did. So I was bummed out about it. And, and to this day, I still like, you know, I feel like you can kind of put your faith in like a, a novel series that's written by one person or a comic book series that's made by a couple people. You just can't or you shouldn't put too much of your expectation into big corporate art because big companies don't care and they're just going to cancel the shit. <laughs> so, so this was kind of the last time I ever really got invested in a TV show. Ever since then, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch stuff or whatever, but I just don't want to, you know, get all into it and then just have it canceled. I'm like, I'll just go do something else with my yeah, life. <laughs> what I remember about it, I don't remember a whole lot of detail about it because I, I, I didn't watch all, all the shows, but I watched a few of them. It was like, yeah, the Wild West in outer space is kind of what it always reminded me of. And when it did finish, I, I was surprised that they finished it because it seemed to have a whole lot of promise, a whole lot of future that could have been well, well done, well executed. And then all of a sudden it was just over. Yeah, it really felt like all of the like lessons he learned from Angel and Buffy really came together in this show. And then never since, like he's had other stuff since then, and some of it's better than others. And then recently there's been all this controversy where everyone is coming out saying what a nightmare he was to work with <laughs> throughout his career. Luckily, nothing worse than that came out, just that he's a dick. But that takes a little bit of the sheen out of things, too. This was the high watermark, though, for sure. But... uh super similar, more similar than I expected it would be to Johnny Yuma. Just when I was reading about Johnny Yuma, I was like, yeah, let's just put these two together rather than a whole week about Firefly because they seem similar. Now that I've seen Johnny Yuma, they're very similar, both in the storyline and in the real life circumstances. Because the way Johnny Yuma got canceled for the Steve Allen variety show, the year Firefly came out, there was like three big new shows that Fox, uh, you know, debuted all together. And then of the three, they canceled two of them and kept going with one of them. And it was just this like crappy, fast cars, you know, racing show. It was just garbage. And it's like, oh, like even if you had just given us one more batch of Firefly instead, because they all got canceled ultimately. It's just like, how? How could you people choose this other show <laughs> over Firefly? Terrible, just awful. But on the other hand, if you're a money man, yeah, the show just didn't catch on. It's too weird. It's a space western you know nobody nobody watched it <laughs> so, so it's understandable it's just a bummer but as the show goes that first episode of johnny yuma where he has his little monologue about like where have you been you know he, he's criticizing everyone for not uh, helping his dad and the guy the deputy guy was like well where have you been johnny the war's been over a year and you get the steely-eyed stare off into the distance where he's like you know some wars never end the wars that go on in a man's heart or whatever that's exactly the character from firefly he could be johnny yuma and they could have called this johnny yuma 2000 it's exactly the same situation where the main captain in this show they had the space civil war the future civil war north versus south but in this case it's the uh inner planets yeah. are the north and the outer planets are yeah. the south and the main character is struggling with his inner self yeah well his side lost the war the South lost. So now he doesn't know what to do with his life. He's just the captain of this this really crappy ship. The ship doesn't have guns or anything. It's just a transport ship. And he just stays as far on the edge of space as he can away from the center planets and just takes little missions and just, you know, he never left that, that war. It's still, you know, it's exactly the same situation. And it's also interesting because, like I was trying to say at the start a little, that uh, 
just the South side, the Confederacy side of things, was much more of a common topic earlier in history, where by my generation, not anymore. You know, like even sort of, uh, you know, flippant shows like The Dukes of Hazards are still kind of looked at sort of side-eyed. Like, why why has the General Lee got the Confederate flag on it? Why are these the good guys? Like, it's, it's kind of, it must be weird if you're from the southern United States, how vilified your history is, because they didn't make shows by 2002, and certainly not now, about the South being the heroes anymore. It's just, it's just gone. And then in real life, you know, it's, at this point especially, it's very looked down upon to even fly that flag or to even to have statues of, of the generals from the Civil War that were on the South. Like, people are like, we should take those down. <laughs> you know, like, the South is getting obliterated. I what you're saying, but it's true because there was, a, there was another show, modern day, uh, well, it wasn't modern day, but uh, North and South, it was called. And it was a series, a TV series, about the South during the Civil War. Then you had things like, um, even, like not, I'm thinking modern, more modern day, even dramas like uh, Dallas and uh, big, those big super soap opera sex shows and uh, rich uh, oil guys. And... Yeah, they were all around that period of the 60s, 70s, 60s and 70s, maybe the early, early 80s. But yeah, they're, yeah you haven't, don't see any of those nowadays. Yeah, so at the time Firefly came out, it had been a solid 20 years that no one had really done this. Yeah. And it was a blip on the radar because they still don't, you know. And, uh, and it was actually the first time by becoming a fan of Firefly that I had ever come upon the opinion. Because also maybe it's because we're not American so maybe our school system just doesn't delve that much into America. It didn't seem like it did when I was there. But, I mean, kind of all I knew about the Civil War is just the very surface, just the South had slaves, you know? <laughs> That's all I knew. So when I was looking into Firefly, because Firefly was based on these novels about the Civil War called The Killer Angels, and, you know, he just made it into space. But, uh, like, it was the first time I heard the idea that they're would have potentially been benefits to the Confederacy winning, not the slave stuff, obviously, that had to go. But the idea of the Confederate States of America maybe would be a healthier situation than what they have now. You know, like keep each state more individual. So it would almost be like Europe or something. Like each one is its own little Confederate thing where instead it all came under the banner of America where this great big fucking behemoth that just doesn't work, you know? Well, and, the, and the, the weird thing is that war has been over for, what, 100 and 150 years? Close to 150 years. And yet there is still that division between North and South. Right. Still oh. there. Yeah, and then uh, sort of just develops into the, the left and right political spectrum, too, which it doesn't quite all fit together, but more or less, <laughs> you know? That mindset is there. They're very much a... You're with us or you're against us. Exactly. Country. Yeah. So first off, uh, so I've just got one episode of this show to show you that uh, is particularly about this topic. But first, I just thought I'd show you real quick because, you know, this show is about how the war has been over and it's just about life after the war. But there was one scene where they actually show this, this war and it's only five minutes long. So I thought it'd be a good setting of just... Like this war, you mean the Civil War? 
the, the space civil war. Oh, sure. the space civil war. Yeah. Okay, okay. Where this was kind of the the definitive, the end type of thing. If we can hold this particular planet, the South might win. But in this little case, you know, they're just holding and holding and waiting for their reinforcements to come. And then when the reinforcements come, it's the wrong side. And that's it. That's the war's over. And, uh, and it's just a neat little scene just to sort of set that, that setting for this guy. Uh, and also what I like about this that I noticed also while we're watching Johnny Yuma, you know how we've been talking about the, uh, just how uh, sort of boneheaded music is in TV shows, where it's just like, feel like this now, feel like that now. And it's not nearly as bad in Westerns. They still do it, but just because of the style of music, it sort of feels more natural. It just sort of fits in better. And I noticed that with, with Johnny Yuma, and it's really apparent with Firefly, because if you go back and watch Angel and Buffy, oh, geez, it's bad of just like, here's the funny scene, here's the sad scene, here's the romance scene, where with Firefly, I mean, this show came out, basically, I think Buffy and Angel were both still going. They hadn't even ended yet. So it's not like they had evolved their ideas about that. They still were making these soundtracks to let you know how to feel. But because it's like this Western sort of bluegrass music, it doesn't seem as bad. It seems really good. <laughs> like So this this scene, like at the end here, when the wrong ships come and this guy realizes like oh fuck my whole life is over my whole way of life is, is done now but the music is beautiful because <laughs> it's like this just stuff you don't hear on tv this like fiddle music and it's really it's really cool so let's just watch this one little scene first and then i'll tell you about the episode we're gonna watch And I love the music in this show. It's so good. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting to see because generally this show is much quieter than that. You know, it's just about this weird little ship on the edge of space. That's like the only time. They always like mythologize this war. They talk about the war. So that's really the only time you see the war. But I was like, oh, that's, that kind of sets the scene. Because the other thing with this show that is I think another reason why it had a hard time catching on, so many characters. There's nine main characters, which is a lot to digest. You know, it took me like a month before I really even remembered who everyone's name was. But all you really need to know is him. <laughs> you know, that's for what we're going to watch. That's enough. You just got to know the captain and what his story is. And that's it. That was him losing the war. So yeah, he can't deal with society. He just wants to get away from it. So he's got this weird little ship and he takes little missions. And he's just got his crew you know he's got a mechanic he's got a doctor he's got uh, uh ron glass is a priest who was just you know they were taking him somewhere and he decided to hang around he's got a mercenary there's all these people way too many people but it doesn't really matter for this you know you can get away with not knowing who they are and why i picked this one episode that we're going to watch is because this is where the captain mal and zoe is his his right hand woman who was also in the war is one of their old friends from the war is involved in this episode and it's about Again, this idea of just trying to keep going after the war. So extremely similar to even more than I thought it would be to Johnny Yuma. <laughs> like these really, they seem like they kind of they match up. And I decided it would be a, a neat uh, excuse to do an episode of Firefly on this show because uh, 
again, like I, I like this show, but again, they only made, I don't know, I think 14 episodes. So, I mean, I've watched them all a bunch of times. I just haven't watched it in a long time because eventually <laughs> you just got to move on. They did make a movie that wasn't as good because it's like too big, too bombastic. You know, they got to try to wrap up a big storyline in a movie. Like what made this show so good is that it wasn't, these are not the people that are going to save the universe. These people are no one. They don't matter. <laughs> and that's what makes it so interesting. Where in the movie, you know, they sort of got involved in a big conspiracy. Blah, blah, blah. It is okay, but, but I much prefer the style of the show. So yeah, for anyone who wants to watch along, this is season one, episode 12, The Message. Yeah, one thing I think is interesting about seeing that show again, because at the time, and still now, you know, Westerns just, uh, I mean, I'd say Westerns, I guess, are a little more popular now than they were in 2002. But that was, you know, just absolutely not a genre anybody had touched in forever. So, uh, and obviously this doesn't quite, because it's space, but it's, it's surprising how little space changes it. You know, it's like it changes the, uh, the way the city looks or whatever, but really it's about the same. Like the ship could just be a wagon. It'd be, you know, a very similar story. So it's kind of neat that we've been watching all of these uh, old Westerns where it's kind of, I mean, I still think Firefly is, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously a good show. It's not like it's just rehashing old Westerns, but there's a lot of similarities, you know? Well, there's an old saying out there that there's only so many storylines in the world. Right. And uh, a lot of them were already written in Greek and Roman drama, especially Greek drama. And uh, it's that same, those same storylines from those Greek stories uh, have just been carried forward. They, they change the setting, change the actors, change the setting, but basically the plots are the same. Yeah. There's only a certain number of them. And that's why you will see them again and again and again and again and again, but with, uh, with just slight variations in them. I almost feel like, too, as far as uh, the surface level goes, because yeah, obviously, like you're saying, the uh, underlying, you know, storylines and paradigms and the white hats, the black hats, all that stuff, it is kind of eternal or whatever. But in the case of that show in specific, I feel like they might have even been better off if they leaned on the Western side less, you know, like don't have horses, don't have people with accents, like just make a space show with all of the stuff from a Western but I think it'd be easier to convince people to watch it if they thought it was just a space show, <laughs> you yeah. know? Because even when I first heard of it, it's like, he's making what? A space Western? Like, nothing about that sounded good to me. I think that could have been edited a bit, too. Um, it it was kind of lo a little long-winded on the talk. Well, see, I mean, yeah, I feel the opposite. I get bored of the action scenes. Because I like, I mean, I know those characters, you know? Like, I, and that's the whole thing. Is but like, see, that's an hour long, right? Right. Yeah, whereas Johnny Yuma was half an hour. Right. And yet in a half hour, they told the story, got the message, got you feeling emotion for certain characters, and then concluded. This one I felt uh, a little long. Well, I guess then in that case, yeah, like what I would do is if it were the half hour version, I would take out the action scenes. <laughs> but I feel like that about everything. I just don't care about action scenes ever. And to me, that's the most boring part. I like the talky parts <laughs> more. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I mean, 
is also this was a right at the end of TV being this way, you know, that a each week was one little storyline that wraps up within the week. And then inside of that, you get the little details about people that go on longer. But yeah, pretty much right after this was when everything shifted to how things are now, where you can't just watch one episode, you know, you got to watch 50 episodes, you know, everything just is continuously rolls on forever. I wonder if money might have been part of why that was canceled. Yeah, I mean, it was expensive. Yeah, also. I mean, they had, they again, they had a lot of scene changes. They had a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of set production in that, like creating those things, uh, the creating the machinery, creating the the battles. Uh, that would have been expensive to produce that. And if they did that every week, yeah, I think money might have been the thing. Yeah, particularly, I think, yeah, if you take just side by side, uh, you know, that show and Buffy, say, Buffy was had way more viewers and was clearly way cheaper. <laughs> so yeah, if you're just from a money yeah, and Buffy had a setting that if you wanted, if you needed to go out into a street, you could go out into a street, yeah. somebody's house. You'd just go into somebody's house and film. This you couldn't do that. You had to actually create those sets, and they probably they didn't look like sets that they would have used over and over and over again in each show. But they might have. But they and uh, well, the inside of the ship, obviously. But yeah, even yeah. just all the flying parts had to all be computer and uh you know 2002 that was it'd be easier to do that now than it was then so yeah that was certainly part of it and yeah even coming into it as already you know liking his other shows it still took a while it took like three or four episodes before i you know i feel like i wouldn't have stuck with it if i didn't if the guy didn't have a track record so i mean it all makes sense there's no reason why this show should have succeeded but, uh, and again, like as uh, years have gone by and I'm like, yeah, you know, I am glad that the little bit we have is so good. You know, it didn't get into, cause man, when you get into the bad Buffy's and the bad angels, they're so bad. They're crazy bad. But when I say about editing, there were little parts in this. Okay. Like the part where the girl, the girl, I don't know her name, but she's the psychic or whatever. And she goes down and lays on top of the coffin. Like... Right, but I, I mean, again, all that stuff is only because you, if you, I just think you would think differently if you watched the whole thing, because on the longer timeline of who these characters are and what their little secrets are, those are the little moments that you have to catalog and keep track of, because what happened with her, the reason her brother is on the run from, from the law is they came from this super duper fancy pants family, and... They sent her to a gifted school, but at the gifted school, the government cut into her brain and started doing all these experiments because she has potential, you know, I don't know, they were like, again, this show doesn't have aliens, it doesn't have magical shit, so it doesn't have psychic powers either, but this is like, this government program is like, maybe there could be psychic people, but the only way we can figure it out is to chop their brains up so the brother smuggled her out, but now he can't go home, he can't, and he's running from the law. So yeah, she's she's crazy. <laughs> she's crazy because oh, the and government. I suppose that the the director felt that he had to introduce each of those characters into the show so that you wouldn't forget that they were part of the ship. Sure. Yeah. So again, like I was saying with the mechanic girl, like there's an episode where their ship breaks in the middle of nowhere and they're all gonna suffocate. So that episode is mostly about her because she's the one who knows how to fix the ship. And yeah, then they get into the episodes about the brother and sister from from the north and you know all their stuff and again yeah like the the priest the uh the mercenary guy everybody has their own little story but there's not enough room in 
in the show for all these people. So yeah, you got to pick pick and choose. So yeah, that's exactly what that is of just like, don't forget, keep this on the back burner. Don't forget, we'll get back to that character next time. So when you, you know, watch the whole show, like, a, you know, as a fan of it, like I am, those little moments are the best part because those are, you know, the, the part that I'm desperate to have more of that we never got to find out what's going on with this, what's going on with that. So, yeah. So, I mean, I see what you mean is just, just diving in. So if you were just flipping through channels when this was on TV, Again, none of that helps, you know? Like, in a way, that's where this show maybe would have been better off nowadays if it was like a Netflix show where it's just there, you know, and you just watch it all together. You don't have to tune in every week. Because this was also, yeah, again, like this transition. This show was on Friday nights, which is a bad time slot. That's the death slot to begin with because Friday night is when everybody's doing stuff. No one's watching TV. I mean, I am, but other people aren't. But even I wasn't home. I was working at the comic shop. So I had to set the VCR to record this show and uh, like one week uh, the, the VCR messed up and it didn't record and I never got to see that episode until way later when they finally put these out on DVD which they only did because of fan outcry because the show wasn't popular enough to do that <laughs> you know so I mean right after this everything changed with TV everything became the internet and Netflix and stuff so this was uh, it's like the, the last of a dying breed but uh yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was neat to watch, though, because it's, uh, it's a somewhat different take on, on all this Western stuff we've been watching. And I'm sure there must be other Western shows, but, I, I mean, I can't think of any that have really broken through and, like, become really well-known. Sometimes a movie does, but even those are, like, they made a remake of 310 to Yuma, you know? They just, you know? I don't know. I just feel like the Western, it's... Uh, I just don't think it's ever coming back. The Western kind of had its day. Yeah. And the Spaghetti Westerns really put a whole different slant on on what we had been seeing as as a Western. They they were people were really dirty in them and which would you would be dirty. I mean, people couldn't take a bath every other day in the in those westerns. Um, at the same time when the Spaghetti Westerns came out, there was uh, one called uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And it was about uh, mining or gold or whatever, but around that time frame. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen a movie where the streets were um, impassable. And they would be. I mean, they'd have a heavy rain and you would have mud up to people's knees. And people were trucking around in that stuff and trying to take their horses and their wagons through these main streets of these towns. And it was just mud in the, in the springtime, which it would be. But when we always saw Westerns, man, the streets were bone dry and you just flew down the street with your cart and you might get a little bit of dust. And uh, I remember the first time I, when I saw McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which was probably in the early 1970s, I was amazed at how everybody was, you know, they dirty, their fingernails, their hands, their fingernails, their faces, they were unshaven. The, the streets were full of mud and filth and things and yes and I said to myself geez yeah you know what that's probably how it really was you wouldn't have a bone dry street every time you came into town yeah <laughs> that reminds me of I was you know obviously a bit later on but I heard that in the early days of New York there would be traffic jams in Manhattan if someone's horse died you know because this gigantic horse is dead in the middle of the intersection 
now what do you do? <laughs> How do you get this thing out of there? Yeah, <laughs> it would cause huge yeah, problems. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of gross to think of, but it makes sense. So what happened with the, with with shows like uh, and and uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller was the one that I'm thinking of mostly. But after that, there was a realism that kind of came into uh, westerns, and they they kind of lost favor. I think maybe because they were too realistic. They, I mean, when they shot somebody, blood spurted out, and there would be blood all over the place. And with the spaghetti westerns, although they were dry scenes because they were obviously filmed in Italy, but it was the same thing. Like, like Clint Eastwood was never clean shaven, or very rarely clean shaven. Uh, but most of most of the westerns we'd seen up to that point, my God, they practically had presses in their shirt sleeves. Right. <laughs> they, were, they, they were very well kept and and polished and clean and shaven but where would you have gotten that done you wouldn't have yeah i was thinking you know i think the only i think the the most sort of uh cultural relevance that a western has probably had since the heyday is that video game red dead redemption that i was showing you because that thing sold so many copies you know i mean like a billion dollars a western movie would love to be that popular but I mean, I guess if that's where the Western has transitioned to, the video game world, could be a worse place to end up because, like, as we were watching footage of that game, like, it's it's out of control how realistic it is. It's crazy. It's kind of yeah. cool. So, yeah, you know, I guess the they they survive somewhere at least. They survive in the video game world. Yeah, but the clean-shaven uh, cowboy. So you could almost even go with the if you were clean-shaven. And your shirt was always clean with maybe a little bit of sweat marks on it, whatever. You were the good guy. But if you were the bad guy. It was so obvious to see who the bad guy was. He had whiskers and he was like that wall-eyed character, that Jack Elam guy that we were looking I mean, as soon as you looked at him, you said, oh, yeah, well, he's the bad guy. So it was, it was very easy to set up characters. You didn't have to have them speak or, or establish their story. Uh, there they were. Oh, yeah, he's in a nice clean shirt and he's not. Yeah, that's probably another reason why westerns just are not as easy to make anymore or for people to buy into is because that that whole you know the black and white good guy bad guy storytelling is uh just so much less in favor now now we got you know breaking bad and fucking what's well the and Dragon people Show? started they started moving from just a, a a very black and white world into the psyche of the characters so that then you moved into characters who were not completely good or completely bad. They were troubled people. Uh, they may be looking for justice in the world, but there was a troubled side of them. And that seemed to be where uh, most of those, any well, characters, whether they were doctors or lawyers or cowboys, everything seemed to move in the, in the, like the late 60s and the early 70s into that genre of, uh, the person's psyche, like what made them tick? Why were they like that? Rather than just, I'm the hero, Joe guy with the white hat and the press shirt, and I'm going out to do justice. That, that was gone.